You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Unwrapped. Enjoy. For your presence right here, right now. We're not going to go through this Christmas season allowing any fear or anxiety or depression into our lives. We choose to trust in you knowing that you are our Father, that you've gone before us and you're making the crooked places straight. We put our confidence in you. We refuse to allow any circumstances to cause us to be troubled. We rejoice in you because you are a shield all around us. You're causing all things to work out for our good. You are accomplishing the things that concern us. Yes, isn't that awesome? We have a, a reason to celebrate like no one else, God. A reason to celebrate this Christmas season. The maker of heaven and earth loves us with an undying, uh, endless love. And you are moving on our behalf. Even when we sleep, even when we sleep, you're alert and actively working things out in our lives. And we're here this morning, God, thanking you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Are your hearts open this morning? God is so good. We want you to know that he loves you more than anyone else ever could. And that he's not turned his back on you. He, he will never reject you. You know, we're going to learn today that when God gave us Jesus, he gave us a brand new covenant. And he declared that he's not even going to be angry with us again. There's not going to be any more condemnation for those who've put their faith in Christ. So we want you to know God's taking care of you. All right, he's actively involved in your life. Amen. Welcome to Highway Church, guys. It's good to see you this morning. Yeah. It's a good day. You may be seated. We're so glad you guys are here. Well, I'm really just trusting in the Holy Spirit to encourage you. So when we leave here today, we're gonna leave here stronger with more peace, with more life than when we came in. And you know, God is so good, he's like that. Are we rolling over there, guys? Awesome, we're recording. So it's Christmas time. Are you got your Christmas shopping done? How many people have their Christmas shopping done? Wow, three hands. Wow, yeah, let's go, good job. We're, we are, we are I, I, I've been known to be one of those guys that's diving under the gate of the store on Christmas Eve. Like, Don't close yet. But I'm, I'm very grateful we were talking at the Christmas party for Amazon as well. Yeah. Santa uses Amazon. Do you know that? So God is good. And uh, so, so what do you guys want for Christmas? We all have desires, don't we? We all have needs. We all have wants. And where we go and who we trust in to have our needs and our wants met is really important. And, and I know that religion has kind of covered this truth. There's a cloud in front of this. But the reality is there's no one who wants to meet your needs. There's no one who wants to fulfill your wants more than God. Amen. And there's no one more capable of doing it. And the sooner we recognize how much God loves us, the better life gets. Yeah. Because when you realize how much he loves you, that he's longing to satisfy your desires. He's longing to fulfill your needs. It changes everything. And you'll stop putting stress on yourself and on other people to do it. 
right? Because inevitably, if we're not looking to God as the one who meets our needs, we're going to start looking to people to do it, and even to ourselves, but no one can do for us what God can do for us. So we're going to look to him this morning as our source. And, you know, at Christmas time, it's a special time where God has given us a gift unlike any other gift. The heart of God was unwrapped through Jesus Christ. So we're calling the message this morning unwrapped. You want to put that up there, Eden? And I like this picture of this young man opening the gift. What's that look? How did you describe that look on his face? Yeah, he's, right, he's anticipating, like, whoa, what's inside? There's expectation there. And that's one of the things that makes Christmas so much fun. I mean, since I was a kid, it was Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's were my favorite time of the year. I like it all. I like the trees, the decorations. I like the lights. I like the gifts. I like the cookies, you know. It's all good. But anticipation is a huge part of that, yeah. right? And, and I looked up the word anticipation. I like to do that. And this is what I found. I took it all the way back to the origin of the word. And it means this, to take something into consideration ahead of time or in advance, to act in advance and to mention something before the proper time. So, but when we get a gift for someone, we don't just give it to them. What do we do? We wrap it, right? We wrap it. Why do we wrap gifts anyway? Why don't we just say, here. Have you ever thought about that? Why wrap the gifts? It builds the excitement, doesn't it? The anticipation. We want the anticipation of the one we're giving the gift to to be high, right? We want them to know that we thought of them beforehand, right? A nicely wrapped gift says, I took your needs and your wants into consideration in advance, right? Well, God wrapped his gift, Jesus, in human flesh, and he put him in a manger about 2,000 years ago, and he did that to tell us that he took our needs and our wants in consideration in advance. So we're going to do two things today, well, at least one. We'll see how far we get to the second one. We're going to look at the gift that God's given us, and then we're going to talk about how to unwrap it, all right? Because there's no better time than right now, than this Christmas season, for you to unwrap the gift that God's given you. What do I mean by unwrap? For you to experience Christ. For you to experience in your personal life who he is and what he's done for you. And, you know, you can go to church your whole life and really not experience the fullness of who he is. And sometimes man's religious doctrine gets in the way of that. Usually it does. But at Highway Church, we like to keep it simple. And we're here to help you to know Christ and to grow in him. All right? So let's talk about this gift. Jesus. To understand Christmas, I mean, to really get the full effect of this holiday, you've actually got to go back before Jesus came. You've got to go all the way back to the first man that God created. The Bible calls him the first Adam and calls Jesus the last Adam. So let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And let's take a look at the first man God ever created. And it's going to help us understand Jesus, 
the gift that God gave us in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Genesis chapter 3. And before we read this, it's important to understand that it was never God's plan for you to live your life confused, discouraged, depressed, lacking. It was never God's plan for us to be separated from him. It was never God's plan for us to be outside of a vibrant relationship with him. And someone might say, well, if it was never God's plan, then why did it happen? That's a good question. And religion can really confuse you on this issue. And I've heard it taught uh, among Christian leaders that everything that happens is God's will. But when I started reading the Bible, I found out the Bible doesn't teach that. That Jesus didn't teach that. That he taught us to pray for God's will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Right? We wouldn't need to pray for that if it automatically happened. So it's very important to understand if you're going to unwrap the gift that God has given you, that it, it, God's will, God's love for you doesn't automatically manifest in your life. All right? That we have to choose to receive it. God made us in his image. So important to remember that. And God is free. So we're free. God made us free to choose what we believe. God made us free to choose where we go and how we behave and who we're in relationship with. Because real love requires real freedom. So it's so important to understand that, that God made us in his image. He made us free and that we have to choose him. And that's more than just choosing to believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's choosing to take his words and make them the foundation of the way we operate. So Adam, we're going to see, back in Genesis, we don't have time to go through it all, but you'll see that Adam chose to believe the words of another. He chose to let the words of someone other than the one who made him distort his image of the giver. And in Genesis chapter 3, for time's sake, we're going to go right to verse 14. In the midst of Adam's rejection of God, he began to follow someone other than the one who made him. But in the midst of that, God didn't reject him. God was looking for him. God wanted to continue to walk with him and fellowship with him. And in the midst of that rejection, God spoke forth for the first time in the Bible the word concerning his son coming. So remember when you wrap a gift, you do it in advance. You take into consideration the one you're giving the gift to in advance. You, you, you want to meet their needs sometimes before they even know what their need is. Well, God, all the way back to Genesis, 4,000 years before Jesus came, right? He spoke, spoke out into the earth what he was going to do through Jesus Christ. And let's look at this in, in verse 14. And he's rebuking Satan for, for deceiving man. And Satan, we know, came as a serpent. He says in verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, 
and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This is prophetic. He shall bruise you on the head. Who's he talking about there? Jesus, right? That's a fatal blow. In other words, my son is going to deal a fatal blow to you, right? And you shall, and you shall bruise him on the heel, right? That's his per, the persecution, the crucifixion that Jesus went through, but that was not fatal. He rose again from the dead. So you'll see throughout the Old Testament, God, the anticipation of God to give his gift is just bursting out. Have you ever given a hint to someone before the time that you were going to give them the gift and they figured out what you were going to give them? I'm kind of notorious for that in my family, where I'm so excited about what I'm going to get for them or what we've planned that I'll start giving hints and they figure it out. So my family doesn't tell me anymore what's going on because they don't want the person to figure it out. But, you know, God was like that. He kept, he kept telling us what he was going to do for us through Christ. He didn't want it to be a secret. The only one he wanted it to be a secret to was Satan. Because if Satan would have realized that God was going to redeem us through the resurrection of his son, he never would have crucified Jesus. So that's the only one he wanted to keep it a secret from. But he wanted us to be full, fully aware of who Christ was and what he was going to do for us. So he would describe all throughout the, the Old Testament the, what the results, the, the, the packaging of this gift and the results of this gift. Let's look at a few scriptures on this in Isaiah chapter 7. So God is describing the gift that's going to be coming. Now, Isaiah was like 600 years before Jesus came. And God is describing this gift to the T. And verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 7, he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember last week we said God reveals his will and his character and his power through his name. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, God for us. In other words, I'm not a God who's far away. I'm a God who wants to be intimately involved in your life. And then look at verse 15. Butter and honey shall he eat. Who's he talking about? Jesus, right? That he may know to refuse the evil and what? Choose the good. Remember, we have to choose. So he's saying, the gift that I'm sending into the earth, he's not like the first Adam. The last Adam will choose to follow me. Right? He's going to choose to walk with me. All right? That's very important. And boy, did he ever do that. Isn't that awesome? And let's let's stay in Isaiah and go to chapter 9. Verse 6. So God is describing this gift. And boy, to those in, in, in Israel who listened, their expectation continued to build. Right? The Messiah is coming. God is going to send us a Savior and a Messiah to redeem us. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The authority necessary to deliver you will abide with him. Right? He will have the authority to set you free. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince 
of peace. Can you imagine the images that were forming in the heart of God's people as this prophetic word was going forward? Emmanuel is coming. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to choose to follow God. He's not going to be like Adam. And the authority needed to deliver us is going to be upon his shoulders. He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be our counselor. He's, he's the everlasting God, the mighty God, the prince of peace. But not only did God describe this gift, he began to describe the results and benefits of the gift. Wouldn't it be silly if someone gave you a a gift on Christmas morning and you didn't open it? And you just took that gift and you put it on a shelf in your home. And all year long you say, isn't that a wonderful gift? But you never opened it up to see what was inside. You would never get to enjoy the benefits of it. Well, some people do that with Jesus. Right? They might make a statue of him, or they'll put their Bible up on a shelf, but they never experience who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. And that's why this church was born, to help people experience Christ, to, to turn away from religion and come into a vibrant relationship with the living God. So God describes this gift and the results of it in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 Verse 25, he's describing the results of the gift that he's going to give. Again, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is in Ezekiel 36. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. And from all your idols. What a gift. What if you could get something like that for your house? By the way, clean your house, right, automatically. Well, this gift, God said, I'm going to give you a gift that's going to cleanse you completely from everything that's impure, from all your impurities. You're going to be clean because of this gift I've given you. And that's not all. I'm going to give you a new heart. Verse 26. Wow, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I mean, this is better than the tin man and the whiz, right? The the tin man should have gone to, to Jesus instead of the whiz. He would have gotten a heart that can respond to God. So the Israelites, this is this must have just made them hunger and long for the for the Messiah. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to make us clean. And this new heart is not going to be hard and cold. This new heart's going to be sensitive to his spirit. This new heart's going to respond to him. And verse 27, that's not all. And I will put my spirit in you. Wow. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to make you completely clean. I'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart that hears my voice and responds to me. And I'm going to deposit my spirit on the inside of you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. What was the name? What they call that? The promised land, right? So to the New Testament believer, the promised land is not a geographical location anymore. It's a quality of life. 
Right? God's saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you into the center of my promises. I'm going to cause you to live a life where you are daily experiencing me. Hallelujah. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Last verse. I will save you from every last bit of your uncleanness, from all your uncleanness. Wow, I want this gift, right? I'm like that little boy opening the package right there. Wow, what anticipation, what excitement. Let's see, let's look at a couple more. Let's look at Jeremiah 32. Verse 39, I love to hear God describe what he's going to do through Jesus. Jeremiah 32, verse 39 says, I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me. And you got to know this, fear in, in this context is not a dread of punishment. It's a reverent awe of the goodness of God. It's, a, it's an awe that has grown out of affection and relationship of who he is and what he's done, right? So that they'll always, so that they'll continually live their lives in reverent awe of me for their own good and the good of their children after them. It's good for us and good for our children to live in awe of God, isn't it? To worship him, to be inspired by who he is and what he's done for us. In verse 40 says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I, look at this. This amazed me years ago. I remember reading this. I don't even know when it was, maybe in the uh, early 90s. <laughs> says, I will never stop doing good to them. This is the covenant he made with us through this gift, Jesus Christ. God says, I'm never going to stop doing good to them. Never. And I will inspire them to live in awe of me so that they'll never turn away from me. Next verse. I will rejoice in doing them good. Wow. Isn't this amazing? See, Paul had a revelation of this. When he wrote the book of Romans in chapter 2, verse 4, he said, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, right? That causes us to change the way we think. Isaiah chapter 54. One of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. You've got Isaiah 52. Isaiah is so full of, of prophecy about Jesus, it's often referred to as the fifth gospel. But Isaiah 52, 53, 54, you have a very detailed description of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ and what God would accomplish through Jesus. So in Isaiah 54, God is talking about this gift and the results of this sacrifice that Jesus would make. And in verse 9, he says this, this gift that I'm about to give to you through my son, the Messiah, to me it's like the days of Noah. When I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I've sworn not to be angry with you and never to rebuke you again. That's like Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. God is saying, this is like that covenant I made with Noah. I'm I'm never going to be angry with you. I'm never going to rebuke you again. I can't tell you the number of times Satan has told me and just about every believer I've ever met, when something bad goes wrong in their lives, Satan will say, God is punishing you. Right? That happened in your life because God's punishing you. Or that happened in your life because God is judging you. You know, there's nothing about that that's true. That is not the God we serve. That's an ignorant statement. Satan would like you to believe that, but it's not true. Right? The judgment that we deserve was put on the gift that he gave. Right? And because of that gift now, he's never going to stop doing good to us. He's going to rejoice in doing good to us. Verse 10, he's not done yet. Verse 10, for the mountains shall depart and hills may be removed and the hills be removed. All kinds of things are going to happen on this earth, but my kindness shall not depart from you. Nor Now, do you think God knew we would make mistakes? Right? So his kindness and covenant is not based on our performance. He's making very superlative statements that could not be based on our performance or he couldn't say such things, right? The security we have in Christ is not based on how many things you do right or how many things you do wrong. It's based on what he did right, right? And Jesus didn't do anything wrong, did he? Right? He was the perfect sacrifice. So he said, the mountains may depart, the hills might be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of shalom That's a Hebrew word there. It means wholeness and prosperity, untroubled, undisturbed well-being. Nor shall my covenant of wholeness, of prosperity, of untroubled, undisturbed well-being be removed, says the Lord. Who has judgment on you? No. No. Who has mercy on you? Mercy on you. Verse 13, all your children will be personally tutored by me. Wow, this is the results of the gift he's given us, right? That the Holy Spirit would live in our home and teach our children without us having to say anything. I take great comfort in that, that, that the Holy Spirit is encouraging my kids and teaching them to know him and to go forward in his destiny for their lives. And great shall be the shalom of your children. Amen. That's something to speak over your family. Dads, moms, that's something I've been saying over my family before when they were in the womb. So, in fact, Moriah, M-O-R, I, is, a, is the land of Moriah in the Old Testament and where, where um, Isaac was taken to be sacrificed and where Mount Moriah, where Jesus was sacrificed. But it means provision of God or God is my teacher. So this is something we've spoken over our children even when they are in the womb. God, thank you for being our children's teacher. Great is the peace of our children. Great is the well-being of our children. Great is their peace. Look at verse 14. This is not possible but through Christ. In righteousness, 
you shall be established. Wow. Immovable. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, isn't it? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of who? God in Christ Jesus. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear. You see how fear and oppression are connected? Right? So what's the devil want you to do? He wants you to be afraid so that he can open the door to oppress you. So you've got to be on guard against fear because it will come. But you don't have to let it in to your life. Right? This is part of the choice we're talking about. Jesus chose not to give in to fear. And boy, did he have opportunities to do it. Many times after he had started his ministry, they tried to kill him. The very beginning of his ministry, they tried to take him and throw him over the cliff. He chose not to give in to fear and to know that his father was caring for him. Right? We've got to make that same decision daily. It, you won't automatically go through life joyful. It's not going to happen because we make choices each day and fear is going to knock on the door of your home and give you lots of apparently valid reasons why you should be afraid. But compared to the promises God has made to you, compared to who he is in your life, there is no valid reason to fear because Jesus is our Savior. Right? His perfect love has cast out all fear. 1 John chapter 4. Right? So if you, you're going to be far from oppression, for you're, you're not going to give in to fear. Right? You're going to choose to trust me. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That takes fear away, doesn't it? And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Who's got their tongue wagging against you in judgment? Satan does. Sure. He's your accuser. Right? And he does it through thoughts. He'll shoot jabbing thoughts at you as you go throughout your day. And he'll tell you why God won't do this in your life. And, and he'll, he'll try and replay videos of the mistakes you've made. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to lower your confidence, right, so that he can operate in your life. But that tongue, when, it's, when he's accusing you, you, you know what I do? I just begin to worship God. Say, thank you, God. There's no condemnation for me and you. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I'm dead to sin and alive to you. I'm walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. I'm strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You're my father and you're leading the way. And greater is Christ in me than anything in this world. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from Walmart. I mean, I'm sorry, and the righteousness is from me. Wow, says the Lord. Man, that's awesome. That is so good. This is the gift that God's given us, and these are the benefits of it. Have you ever received a gift that was just so specially and uniquely wrapped? Like even the wrapping paper looked really valuable. It's like, wow. 
I mean, it was just, you know, every corner was folded perfectly, and the material of the wrapping paper wasn't like the normal stuff. And it's just like, what is in here, right? God wrapped his gift in human flesh. Wow. He took his son and he wrapped him in human flesh as a baby lying in a manger. What does that wrapping paper say to us? God says, I know who you are. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and I'm sending my son on earth as a human being just like you to take your place to receive the punishment for your sins so that you can be made new. See, for God's gift to be wrapped in human flesh changes everything. I mean, if God would have given us this big angel up in the sky, it really wouldn't have changed things. But he gave us a gift that that is like us. Jesus was God forever, but he came to earth as a man. Let's look at how God wrapped this gift in Philippians 2, verse 5, and we're almost done. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. So God wrapped this gift supernaturally. Only God could give the gift that he gave. Probably the only thing that Amazon.com doesn't have. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, talking about the man Jesus, right? But emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, a human being, right? Can we go on to verse 7, guys? Verse 7. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. I remember when we first got back to the States, we were married in 1994. It's our 21st anniversary coming up in 11 days. And uh, we came back to the States in December of 95. We were living in Europe. And uh, we didn't, all our stuff was being shipped back from overseas. We were staying in this lodge. And we didn't really have a, a TV overseas. And we, we got back, we had TV and we had channels. And said, let's watch TV. And I saw a message on TV. It was, it was a few days before Christmas. And this preacher came on TV, and he said something that just rung with my heart. And he said, you know, Jesus, when he came to earth, he didn't come as a son of God. I went, what? Now, of course, he was a son of God. What he he said is, he came as a man. And you'll notice Jesus refers to himself repeatedly as the son of man. Now, of course, he's, he's God. He always has been. But he fulfilled a very unique role when he came to earth as the son of man. He took on human flesh, which means he had to daily choose to walk with the Lord, right? Back to verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? For you, right? He had no need to do that for him. He did it all because of his love for you. And when someone gives you a package like this, gives you a gift like, like this, it inspires you and motivates you to receive it, doesn't it? I mean, it's not hard to receive a good gift, right? Our last scripture, let's go to Luke chapter 2. So God wraps this gift. 
for us in human flesh. And this wrapped gift in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago ushered the goodness of God into the earth like never before. So much so that the skies filled with angels. I like to imagine what it would have been like on that evening. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, working the third shift, right? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. I like to imagine, what would that have been like, right? You're working the third shift. You've done this so much, right? It's just, it's automatic now. And all of a sudden, an angel appears before you. Wow. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Wow. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, right? Oppression will be far from you, for you shall not fear. You will notice that God repeatedly says to us throughout the scriptures, do not be afraid. Major connection between fear and the operating of the enemy in our lives. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I'll never stop doing good to you because of this babe that's born this day, right? I bring you good news of great joy. Now, these were Hebrew shepherds, right? They knew Isaiah. They knew the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, right? I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. No one's excluded from this. For there is born to you this day, this is the day that you've been longing for, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And, and this will be a sign to you. This is going back now to Isaiah chapter 7, right, about the virgin bearing a, bearing a child. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Good will toward men. If you ever hear anyone say that because a natural disaster is taking place, that was God's judgment on someone, you know they're wrong. God does not operate in that way. He has good will toward men. God is not looking to destroy anyone. He has good will towards you. He has good will towards every nation, towards every tongue and every tribe. Good will toward men. You know, as I looked between verses, verses 12 and 13 and 14, I think like it's like the heavens wanted to burst. You know, it's like this anticipation for the giving of this gift had been mounting for centuries. And the day had come, and the stars couldn't hold it anymore, and the angels just burst onto the scene and said, Glory to God in the highest. He is good, and his mercy endures forever. His goodwill is now in the earth like never before. 
Taste and see how good he is. You shall not fear. Oppression will be far from you. He has made a covenant with you through this baby who's going to be unwrapped through his ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection. Hallelujah. So there's no better time than right now to receive this gift for you and to begin to unwrap the goodness of God in your life. So maybe you've been thinking some things about God that really aren't true. Maybe you thought some bad things that happened in your life was God's judgment in you, on you, or that God was punishing you. I want to I encourage you to let go of those thoughts, to let go of that baggage. The grace of God is infinitely greater than any mistake or sin you've made. That's just who he is. He's benevolent. He's rich in mercy. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. And he won't change. And we're living now in the age of his amazing grace. If we had time but we don't, we're going to pick up next week. We're going to talk about how to unwrap this gift, how to experience Christ in your life, how to, how to live victoriously over fear, depression, anxiety, lack, and walk in the new life that Christ came to give you. We will do that next week. It'll be our last Sunday of the year, so don't miss that. But we're going to pray right now. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, it's your goodness that changed our lives forever. We open our hearts right now, Holy Spirit, and we ask you to shine the light of Christ in every room of our hearts. Any thoughts, any things that we've believed about you over the years that aren't true, reveal that to us and we're going to discard it right now. We choose to believe who you have revealed yourself to be in your word. We choose to believe that you are slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, gracious and merciful. We choose to believe that because of Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for us. We choose to believe that Jesus was made sin for us so that in him we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We choose to believe that Jesus himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses and with the stripes that wounded Jesus, we have been healed. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to minister to hearts right now, to speak to fears, to speak to anxieties and worries, to quicken everyone here. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, if you're dealing with any kind of anxieties or fears in your life, I just want you to identify them right now. And what we're going to do is, is a very biblical practice. It's very simple. We're going to speak the Word of God with our mouth. We're going to believe it with our heart. But we're going to speak to those fears, all right? We're going to speak to anxiety and depression and to worry. I just, say, just encourage you to repeat after me. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Are you thinking of those fears? Say it again. Speak right to it. God has not given me the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Did I make that up? Where's that at in the Bible? 2 Timothy 1.7, right? Right? We're just speaking the word. Say this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Think of any areas where, you, where lack might be knocking on your door in your life. Say it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. I'm strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm strong in him and in his mighty power. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.